In the famous prayer, Aleinu Leshabeach, that means it's up to us to praise God, that we recite every day at the end of prayers, we mention one very famous verse that says, and God is going to be king of the entire world. And in that day, God is going to be one and his name is going to be one. So with the coming of the Messiah, there's going to be a complete awareness of the existence of God. God is going to stop hiding his presence. I mentioned that the, the rules of the world are going to change. Miracles are going to happen and everybody's going to be able to see that there's a God. And that's what it means that God is going to king of the whole world, even though a human being, the Messiah, the Mashiach, is going to be leading humanity, but he's going to be doing it like Moses did in the process of the Exodus, that everybody followed Moses, but clearly he was only a messenger of God. In the same token, when the time of the Messiah is going to be, so he's going to be leading the Messiah, the Mashiach is going to be leading humanity, but clearly he's going to be only like a shepherd, a leader in humanity following the command of God. So the first part of the verse is clear that God is going to be king over the, the entire world. But then the second part of the verse is a little bit confusing. It says, and God is going to be one. The Talmud asks the question, only when the Messiah comes, God is going to be one? But nowadays, it's more, it's more than one God, God forbid. So the Talmud explains the meaning of the verse. Nowadays, we, can, we don't fully appreciate how God is running the world, and He is a, a, a kind and good and perfect God, because God wanted to introduce in the world free will. I also explained in the introduction that God wanted to leave some room in the world for things not to be perfect and people to think that maybe there's other things besides God and only at the end of history God is going to reveal his total oneness and that's going to happen at the coming at the time of the coming of the Messiah. So therefore nowadays we don't have the clarity that there's that everything is being directed by God because of the bad things that happen and more specifically the famous topic of why bad things happen to good people and good things to bad people. So only at the time of the Messiah, God is going to put an end to that way of running the world and hiding himself. So nowadays we cannot fully appreciate God's oneness and God's goodness because there are bad, seemingly bad things that happen to people. There's um, two different blessings that we recite depending on happenings. When the good things happen to a person, there's a blessing that we say, Baruch Hashem, Atov, Vemetiv. Bless are you, God, who is good and bestows good. But then, God forbid, when bad things happen to people, and mostly people notice following blessing, when they lose a close relative, we say, Baruch Hashem, Dayan Hemet, blessed are you God, the true judge. What, what it implies is that when things hurt, when things are painful, we acknowledge and we know everything is coming from God. But nevertheless, we cannot fully appreciate what is good on that. I mean, what is good on the fact that we lost a close relative? What is good about tragedies that happen in the world? That, explains the Talmud, gives us the impression that it's not 
God, the only one running everything. Actually, there's even philosophies in the past and even people in the present that are confused and think that more than one God or more than one power running events in the world. Otherwise, how could it be that bad things happen in the world? So that's why nowadays, before the coming of the Messiah, before God completely reveals himself, there's room to see or to think there's other powers intervening in the world. But says the Talmud, when the Messiah comes, and in a way God is going to stop the period of free will, and he's going to reveal his oneness, now we're going to understand retroactively that everything that God did was for good. So says the Talmud, once the Messiah comes, we all going to be blessing Baruch HaTov blesses the one that is good and bestows good. Because everything is going to be complete, everything is going to be revealed that was for a good. We can compare this nowadays to a young person, a child, that the parents in a way impose on the child to do things that the child doesn't see how is it good for him. They tell him you have to brush your teeth, you need to, to take a vaccination, you need to go to school, you need to go to bed, you need to eat, you need to take a shower. I mean, so many things that the little boy or the little girl, they're overwhelmed. Why they're on top of my case? Why are they telling me to do all these things? Only when the child matures and understands retroactively, oh, you know what? <clears throat> Definitely I need all that for my own benefit. In the same token, things that happen nowadays, they have a deeper wisdom into them. According to Kabbalah, and I explained this in the introduction, Rabbi Lutzato says that nowadays there's only a very, very small and superficial aspect of, to understand why things happen to us. He compares that to water, to a drop of water to compare to the ocean. So it's only a very small aspect of the benefit of an act that happens to us that we can understand the why. But when the Messiah comes, God is going to slowly but surely, and even more in the world to come, show us the reasons behind everything happened to us individually and to humanity as a whole. And like this example of the child that matures and can understand, oh, now I understand why my father or my mother pushed me to brush my teeth and to this and that. So in the same token, at the end of history, we're going to understand retroactively the reasons of the why. And that is what the Talmud explains, the meaning of the verse. Then God is going to be one. Not that today God, God forbid, is not one, but today we cannot fully appreciate the oneness and the goodness of God. Only when the Messiah comes, everything is going to be clear. And in that, there's a famous psalm. We say it before the prayers of eating, the Birkat Amazon, Shiram Alot. We say, when, when God is going to return, the captivity of Zion, of Zion, to the land of Israel, and the Mashiach is going to come, then we're going to be like dreamers. The interesting uh, aspect of the wording of that psalm, he doesn't say we will be in Hebrew, that's the proper way of saying in the future tense we're going to be dreaming. Ainu means literally we were like a dreamers. And the implication is nowadays it's a little bit of a dream. Even though for us it's reality and we do really have free will and we we make the choices what what we what do we want to do with our lives, but in a way this is like a dream. Sometimes it could be God for a little bit of a nightmare, 
because we're not living in the in the true reality and we don't understand and we don't perceive where and to what purpose things are leading. Only with the coming of the Messiah, things are going to be cleared. And then God's oneness and God's goodness is going to be completely appreciated. God is going to be, be praised for that. And we're going to reach a full understanding of why things happen to us. Now, Sadegaon was a great Torah scholar that he lived a little bit over a thousand years ago. And he explains four reasons of why is there a need that the righteous people of the past should come back to life in the resurrection of the at the time of the coming of the Mashiach, the Messiah. The first reason he explains is that this is a reward that they deserve. These great people put all the time and effort while they were alive to do the right thing and bring themselves and humanity closer to God. So that is exactly what's going to happen at the time of the coming of the Messiah, when in a certain level, the era of free will is going to come to an end, and all humanity are going to recognize the truth of God and the right path to follow, and humanity is going to reach a stage of harmony and utopia. So therefore, it's a reward for them to be able to be present in that time of history. And the Talmud expounds that once these righteous people and everybody among them they're going to come back to life at the time of the resurrection of the dead when the coming of the Messiah. They're going to be alive since the coming of the Messiah and the rebuilding of the third temple until the end of history in the year 6000, as, as I am about to explain. So that is the first reason as a reward. Then a second reason, because besides the Messiah that is going to give direction to humanity in what is the right path, but also these great leaders of humanity Biblical figures are going to also be able to offer direction to the rest of humanity. And they are already famous, Moses, King David, the patriarchs. So humanity is going to also need them to give direction in what is right path to follow in this new era of humanity. And the, the third reason, that in itself is, also, is going to be a source of pride for the Jewish people, since they, these are the great leaders of the Jewish people from the past with renown. And like that, humanity is going to appreciate the validity of the Torah, and the direction that the Jewish people offer to humanity. And the fourth reason is because once these people come back to life and everybody witnesses and sees the reality and the truth of the resurrection of the dead, that is going to be a clear proof of the truth of the Torah. Everybody's going to accept that there's only one God and that that God gave the Torah. And also everybody's going to believe about miracles and about the reality that there's another existence after this world, the world to come, and the reward for the righteous people that did the right thing by following the Torah. Now I would like to clarify what's going to happen in the year 6000, the great day of the judgment. But before we explain the judgment itself of the year 6000, I would like to explain in general the idea of judgment. I mentioned at the introduction that God created the world out of goodness, because he wanted to give us the opportunity to experience pleasure and to experience all the best that God can share with us. And when God designed that, he knew, he calculated that for pleasure to be full, it requires that the person, the creature experiencing the pleasure, should have some connection to that pleasure. The Talmud actually brings a comparison 
The difference between somebody that eats bread that he earns through his own efforts, a person that works, gets a salary or makes a business, and through that he gets an income, and with that money he buys and eats what belongs to him. And comparing that to the person that he doesn't work, a person that is depending on others, on charity, to be able to have his bread and his food. The first one says the Talmud, he's able to enjoy and to eat whatever he eats with dignity. But the second one, he feels some shame, is ashamed by the fact that he really doesn't deserve that which he's consuming, eating. Says the Talmud, the same thing would have been if God only would have created us directly, experiencing the pleasure that he can give us, then we'll be lacking in some degree by the fact that we didn't earn that pleasure that was given to us without any effort, like a gift. Therefore, God designed that first we first come to, the, come to this world, as I explained in the introduction, the world of free will, and through our free will, we choose to do the right thing. And once we achieve that reward, then we can enjoy it with dignity. And that's why we come first to this world, to this life. We have the option, we have free will, to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And then when a person chooses to do the right thing and goes to the world to come, he's going to be able to experience whatever he rightfully earned through his own choices, and it's going to be much more pleasurable. So going back to the concept of judgment, judgment is really a way to assess what the person accomplished through his own free will. And whatever he did right, he gained perfection for himself, he grew as a human being, and that is going to be the source of his pleasure. And it's not like other philosophies or religions, and I mentioned this in the introduction, that look at the reward in the world to come as just an exchange of points, depending, oh, you gain certain amount of points, you deserve this reward. That would be very, very artificial, and it's a very superficial way of looking at things. In a deeper way, the, the pleasure and the reward of a person in the world to come is really the perfection that he attained through his own free will, through the choices he made. So the concept of judgment is only when God gives us clarity by ending the free will, by ending the, the period of challenges, when God is hiding his presence and we still can choose whether to do or not the right thing, when that period comes to an end, then a person is going to already see clearly what he achieved and receive the word for whatever he achieved. And the people that made mistakes, in a way, God gives them the opportunity, if still possible, to fix those mistakes by different processes after life that God is going to bring to the people to fix whatever needs to be fixed, and then if they deserve it, to also be able to enjoy some living in, in, the, in the world to come. So every every year in Rosh Hashanah, in that prayer, Netanyahu Tokev, we express that uh, those 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim are days of judgment, and that brings us the awareness to realize that that is a time to go to the right direction, you know, with the GPS that is recalculating and is giving us the opportunity to go back to the right path. So every Rosh Hashanah, there are days of judgment to bring the awareness that maybe we need to rectify our direction in life 
and go back to the right path. So that happens every year. Also, when a person leaves this world, when a person dies, there's another stage of judgment also to see what does he need to fix his soul or if he needs to get a second opportunity, a second chance. I explained previously in the previous podcast the concept of reincarnation that sometimes or many times actually people have to come back to life. It's like a person in school that wasn't able to do all the credits, all the whatever he was learning in that year, and needs to repeat either a subject, a topic, or the entire year is an, another chance, an opportunity, so finally he can finish his studies. So in the same token, if a person did something wrong or didn't accomplish something that he needed to accomplish, God gives the person an opportunity to come back in a second, a third, or fourth chance of life to do what he has to do. So all that is being decided in the judgment after a person dies. But then the final judgment is in the year 6000, when all the free will of humanity comes to an end, and therefore God can make a recount for every single deed that happened in a, through a person. Now, whatever person does has an impact not only on, him, on himself, but a person impacts the entire humanity, because we set examples. So great people good people set an example of doing the right thing. Also, they taught other people what to do. And even if you help somebody else, that also in a way is going to make an impact in that person that you help and his descendants of people around him. So if you, as an example, if you save somebody's lives, either entirely physically or even just by giving him some source of sustenance, parnasa, and through that he was able to build a family, and have more descendants. So in a way, you have the merit of all that, all those people. But God forbid somebody like Hitler, he has the punishment, he had the negative consequence, not only on the people that he directly killed, but also all the negative impact in the rest of society and even in the people that follow his negative example. So therefore, only by the very end of history, after everybody lived, God is going to bring an account of all the impact for the good people, all the impact of the positive things that they did, and all the impact of the people, all the negative things that they did. And based on that, every single act is going to be either rewarded or punished. And that is going to take place exactly in the year 6000, at the very, very end, and after all the stages that I mentioned previously, by then everybody's going to come back to life in the year 6000, and therefore the righteous are going to be classified according to their merits, and they're going to be determined to which level are they going to attain in the world to come, because depending on the merits of a person, they're going to be different levels in the world to come. The, the, the more of a perfection that a person attains through his free will and through the impact of, he, of his acts, the burden and the higher level in the world to come and closeness to God, they're going to attain in the world to come. And the lower is going to be less of a reward. And the evil people, they don't deserve to go to the world to come. At that time, in the year 6000, they're going to be punished for everything they did. And it's not enough what they are being now being punished in the spiritual world, like let's say people like Hitler 
or people, very evil doers, is not enough what they're being punished right now in the spiritual world, but then the final punishment is going to happen at the year 6000. And because obviously they don't deserve to go to the world to come, in that stage, in that moment, they're going to be destroyed to the eyes of everybody. Everybody's going to be able to see how these people were punished for the evil they did, and they won't be able to to deserve to live in the world to come. So we had completed to explain the first 6,000 years of history. And please go ahead in the next podcast. I would like to explain what's going to start happening at the years 6,000 and onwards and the different aspects and elements of the world to come.